So when we gather, like we're doing right now, what, what do we call this? Like uh, Wednesday nights, Sundays, we say we're going where? Going to church. This, that's, that's what we're doing. We're going to church. And, and, and I know that we, we, a lot of the things that I'm going to teach tonight, you're going to be like, I know that. But some of it's a reminder and some of it just kind of maybe for some it's teaching it because the idea of church, uh, we, we start associating church with a building. It's a place, something we do. And then if somebody was to describe their church, what do they do? They start going in and say, my church has a choir my church has a worship team. My church has programs. My church does potlucks. My church does, and, and honestly, those things are all great of things that the church does, but none of those define what the church is. But I tell you, the further we get away from Scripture and the more we get caught up in these things, we begin to define the church by what it does rather than what the Bible defines it is. That's why it's so important that we take time like this to, to step back and reevaluate what is the church. And I've said this a thousand times, if you've heard me preach over the years, if this whole place burned to the ground, we had nothing left, we're still the church. It, it doesn't matter about gathering in here. It doesn't matter about the buildings and fellowship hall and the kitchen and all these things that we have. Those are just tools and resources of it. And sometimes when we start treating this place as a and don't get me wrong, as God's house, and we say that all the time. I think Pastor Matt even said that as we're praying about that. But God does not live here. But it's a way to reference this place. But God does not live here. I'm going to ask you guys, as the church, where does God live? In us. So when we say we're coming, so sometimes we will walk into a building and step foot in there and go, I'm with God. And then we step out and we live like the devil because I'm not with God. And that's why people will say things like, I can't believe it. You, did you just lie? You can't do that. You're in the church. church. Oh, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. You are the church. So if, if, you, if it's wrong to say in this building, it's wrong to say in the parking lot, and it's wrong to say in your living room. So that's why if we have the idea that God dwells in this house or in the church, then all of a sudden, we, we, we show up to visit God. It's like weekend visitation. When we step into this and we act a certain way, we talk a certain way, and we worship a certain way because we're in his house. But that's not how it is. And so I, I want to take the, the biblical principles of what God said of, of what the church is. And so we've got the terms. I'm going to lay these out as we go. For as the body is one and hath many members, that's us. And all the members of the body, being many, are one so also is Christ, that is the church. So we're going to go through this list of questions, and so I'm going to get into this. And we're asking the question, what is the church? Before we start talking about the mission and what we do and who we answer to, we need to define what is the church. Because if we have this idea of location, traditions, membership roles, programs, and potluck, then we're not going to understand it. Jesus was leading the disciples, and it was in the book of Matthew, and he's leading the disciples, teaching them. They didn't know it at the time, but he was calling them out. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What was he doing? He was building the church. He was establishing the church. He was doing all these things, and they didn't understand it. So Jesus asked a question in Matthew, and he says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? So God had a plan to impact the world. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said that in verse 17. He turns to him and he says, Peter, you are right. I am the Son of God. Peter, you get it. Then Jesus drops this plan that he's going to fight back against the, the evils of this world by establishing that God, the church, is God's army to push back Satan's kingdom. And he said unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now he's drawing this description. I've heard this preached a lot of different ways. But what he was doing by this is he was describing a kingdom. So the kingdom has gates, and he was describing it. that the, the, the satanic kingdom or the kingdom of this world is the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then he describes our kingdom. And he talks about the kingdom of God and that we, he's the king and that we answer to him. And he talks about that, um, that, that seek ye first the kingdom of God. So if, so if you think about it, the world is all about these two kingdoms. You've got the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and they're at war with one another. 
And he's establishing, he said, as long as you're built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, he said, Peter, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to form the church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. He's establishing something powerful. We stand against evil in this world. We stand against the kingdom of evil. But then bring, this brings us to the question of I, when he says, I will build my church, what is the church? This is the first time that this word is mentioned, but we use it all the time. The church is God's people called out and gathered together for his purpose. Now, this might be new to some of you, and maybe some of you have this established in your heart and mind, but that word church in the Greek is the ecclesia. Now, when he said, I'm going to build my church, the, the disciples didn't jump back and go, whoa, what is that? Because the word ecclesia is part of their culture. It was something that they knew all, all, all about. It was something that they were familiar with. So it was not a religious term during the time. It didn't represent steeples and stained glass windows. It didn't represent all the things that we think about. It represented ecclesia. Ek was out, and lesia was the called. So it was those, the church was, he was saying, I'm going to assemble the called out ones. He was assembling an army, which makes sense when he said, and the gates of hell not, will not prevail against it. It was a term that was often used for military purposes. He said, I'm, I'm going I'm to form a team. And so when he's asking the disciples, you get it, he was, he was wanting to know, are you understand why you're following me, what I'm establishing through this? So here's the thing. The church, if it's a called out gathering of God's people, it's not a place. It's not a place. Jesus was uh, teaching and uh, going to the woman uh, at the well, and, and she brought up this debate that they had. She said, well, some say that we worship on this mountain, and some say we worship on this mountain. And she was, she was debating which mountain, you know, this, what the Samaritans believe and the Jews believe, who's right. And Jesus said, I'm coming to do something where they, will never, they won't worship on this mountain or that one. They will worship me and in spirit and in truth. He was, he was changing it because they had to run to a place to be in the experience, the presence of God, but God was going to dwell in their hearts. Church is often described as a place. It's off, and, and it's also uh, the church is not a person. I, I can say that I am the church, and that is true. And I don't want you misinterpreting because I'm saying, you are the church, you are the church. But understanding what we did tonight of gathering together is what makes us the church. It's a called out assembly of God's people. It's not that I stand alone. Satan would love for us to think that I'm the church and I'm going to go stand alone. I, I'm not going to gather. I'm not going to go preach. I'm not going to evangelize. I'm not going to fellowship all those distinctions of the church. And then you wonder why I get so beat up. You weren't created to stand alone. That's why Jesus called Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Bartholomew. He, called, he gathered them together. We togetherly, uh, together, we gather together to represent the church together and he's assembling the disciples we learn in this past you go through the the work of my church god he kept gathering to them ministries he's pulling them to follow me and i will make you fishers of men he as he was calling them he was assembling his his work his his church when you accept jesus christ to follow him as a child of god you become part of the church the Bible says in Acts 2, when they were in full motion, if they were the acts of the apostles, they were going out preaching and teaching and spreading the word of what Jesus was doing. It says at the end of that chapter, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church. Who, who added to the church? The Lord added to the church. Because it wasn't a matter of church membership. It was about people knowing Jesus Christ as their personal savior. Let me tell you this. If you have a crowd, that does not make you a church. What makes a church is the fact that that crowd is established in Jesus Christ. You want to know why there's a lot of churches that are falling apart today? Because they're a crowd, but they're not standing on the, on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And there is a difference. This is praising God and having favor with all the people in the Lord added to the church as such as should be saved when you become a Christian, you become a member of God's church. You are part of something. You, you, it, it's different. It's the, 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 Jesus is the rock. He holds us together. He makes us strong. He, he gives us the foundation. That, that is why when we say that the gates of hell cannot prevail, it's not because of the power of all of us and our talents and ability or our history or our legacy or our paid-off buildings or all those things. That's not what makes us strong. 
What makes us strong is the fact that we're founded on Jesus Christ. It's not us. The Bible gives these visuals to help us understand it. And, and one of the, the visuals that he gives us is talking to us as we're living stones connected together. So to say that we're a building or the church is not a building is true. But in a sense, as us being living stones, we are the building. Jesus was teaching them, and, he's, and he, Peter was um, explaining what Jesus taught us, to whom coming as unto living stones, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. He also is lively stones, alive, okay, not, not just a rock, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, so off our spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God. So you know how the Bible describes when he was talking about it, he said, I'll be the chief cornerstone. That was the foundation. That was where they started with that rock in the corner. That's what set the stage for everything they were building on. But then he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and get a Christian, call them, and put them part of that. And I'm going to get another Christian. He's going to be saved and baptized and part of the local church, and I'm going to build him on that. And he's building this something that is strong. And he, and he was like, you can imagine Jesus as he's talking, like pointing to a wall. So see how strong that is? That's the church. And every one of those stones represent every one of you. It was, it was, it was a visual for them to understand. It was, it was something to see. The church is us connected. If you're disconnected, and there's so many people that are disconnected, like, where do you go to church? You guys, we've all heard this before. Where do you go to church? I go to such and such place. I, I, I told you guys a story before about being out on visitation. And I, we were going around inviting kids to Bible school. And I went, I went up to this group of people on their porch and whatever and invited them. And uh, they said, oh, we've already go to church. I said, really, where do you go? They go, oh, we go to Fellowship Baptist Church. And I said, really, that's awesome. Uh, I, and, and, and I was saying, that's great. How long have you been going? They told me how long. I said, well, it's nice to meet you. I'm the pastor, <laughs> literally. And it's, it's not about your association. And I, I think some people, I was baptized in that church 25 years ago. Good for you. But that doesn't mean that you're connected like the Bible says that you should be connected. The Bible talks about the stones fitly joined together. But then another visual is that we're the body of Christ. He gives us this other, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, by which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part. There is not one person in this room that is not important. Not one person. And I know for some of you are thinking, I'm never going to get up there and teach like you're teaching. I'll never be on the stage doing this. I'm not that guy that does this. I'll tell you what, you might not be that guy, but you are still part of the body of Christ. God has a purpose and a plan for you being in this part of the body of Christ. You, you think about insignificant parts of the body. Like, let's take, for instance, your baby toe. Have any of you ever, like, hit your baby toe on something? You're thinking it doesn't matter, and you limp around, and you go, what did you do? It says, like, I, I broke or I stubbed my baby toe. Well, that whole, that, the significance of that baby toe uh, of keeping you in balance affects every part of your body. Every person here has a reason, has a, a significance of being part of the body. It talks about how some are the hands and some are the legs, but we need each other. If one part of the body of Christ, it's funny, if you stub your toe, you know what you do? You reach up with the hands and you grab it and then you sit there and mend to the, the need. If you stub your elbow, you automatically, you stub your elbow, you know what I mean. <laughs> you bruise your elbow, whatever. Uh, but the, every, every part of the body is necessary. And the Bible says, show the hands of the foot, I have no need of you. No. Is the hand and the foot drastically different? Absolutely but they're equally important. The Bible's describing this, but you know what the thing about it is? It's that the, the, the fact that the body is fitly joined together. It's one body, and that's what the verse, the scriptural verse that we were memorizing. It's just one body, but we form the body of Jesus Christ. We need each other. We work together. We rely on one another. If you're disconnected, you are disconnected. You are out of place, out of joint, missing. What is the purpose of the church? It's not just to grow. It's not just to worship. It's more than evangelism. It's not about making our name known. He said, I want to him that is able. This is a theme verse. We use this all the time. We quote this 
Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, that is the Spirit of God that makes us alive, which is part of salvation, to make us Christians. You know why? Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all the ages, world without end. Amen. The purpose of Fellowship Baptist Church and every church that's ever existed is to bring glory to God. That's it. For everything that we do, it's not a matter of us trying to brag about how many people are here, or how, how expensive an, uh, part of the service is, or the or, or organs, or glass windows, or the steeple, or, you know, all you guys know what I'm talking about. Just tour the world and go to different countries and, and, and go to these churches. And it's not about that. It's not about glory to man. It's not the, about the possessions that we have. It's not about the people or the celebrity status of the pastor. Or every, every bit of us is to do one thing, is to glorify God. Giving him all the honor, all the praise for all things, magnifying him and giving him all the praise and credit for everything that happens. That's what we do. So if we ever walk in here, we have any other reason. If, you, if you're in the choir, it's not about you trying to stand out being a better soprano than everybody else. You're, you have one job to accomplish. That's to glorify Jesus Christ. For any pastor that gets up and wants to be well-known or famous or whatever, it's like he's got one job if he's the church. That is to glorify Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church is to bring glory to God. We do that through evangelism. We do that through all of these things. By the way, that is the reason why we do everything. Wherefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. The reason that we worship on Sundays, the reason you work on Mondays, is to bring glory to God. Second question, who is the head of the church? Now, I know a lot of you are going to be like, this is so elementary. Okay, I'm going to tell you it's not, and it should be preached and said even more in our culture today. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church. So who, who is the head of the church? Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and all things he might have the preeminence. And we did a whole thing on that with the study of giving and, 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 and stewardship, is that he has the preeminence. Jesus is the head of the church. It is not a deacon board. It's not a trustee board. It's not the pastor. It's not the staff. It's not the charter members. Jesus is the head of the church. You know why that is so important? Because whatever he says goes. That's right. There should never, ever, ever, ever in any church setting, in any denomination of any place on the world where people gather together to decide what they're going to believe, he's already said it. It is simply our job to follow it. I don't care how the world changes and how sexuality and gender confusion, all this stuff, and different denominations right here are splitting because they're coming together to try to figure out what they're going to teach and what they believe. They have no right to do that because Jesus is the head of the church. His word is the final authority over the church. And you say, well, of course, that. do you know how many people would read that verse and say, amen, Jesus is the authority, he's the head of the church? Then that means we submit to him. And it doesn't matter. When we talk about preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, it doesn't matter if it's popular or not. It doesn't matter if it's going in or out of style. We, we preach the word of God. He calls the shots. We submit to him. He has the Holy Spirit in our lives that is the final authority over everything that we do. He does this through two ways. What is the authority of the church? God leads us through the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to show you some verses here in a minute when the, when the Bible talks about those that are the leaders of the church, that we might separate us from certain things to do, that we might give ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. You know why? Because if I don't follow God, I will get us all into a mess. Same way as you as a dad, a teacher, a leader, a deacon, or whoever you are. It's our, it, the Holy Spirit is our guide and the word of God is our authority. It unites us, it guides us, that's why the Bible says rightly dividing the word of truth, because it's, it, we, we better know what it says and teach what it says. So what, are the leader, what is the leadership roles of the church, if we're going to break this down? So we know that Jesus is the chief shepherd. Feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. 
neither being lords over God's heritage, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. He is the chief shepherd. He is the oversight. In a church, we follow him, we submit to him. Within the church, you have what the Bible talks about, Timothy and Titus as the pastor and elders. There are a lot of people think they know what the pastor's role is. And I know if we were to go around and, and interview people and say, what is it that your pastor should be doing? We're going to get a crazy list of things that people think that we should be doing. The Bible says in Acts 6, 2, when, the, when he called the 12 of the multitude of the disciples unto him, he said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you, men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom, that may you may appoint over this business, that we might give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. He said, it is not healthy for us to leave the word of God, to run to the widows and all these different things that they were describing in Acts chapter 6. We neglect our job if we're not rightly dividing the word of truth because we're running to every need in the church. Do you guys think that there's needs of people in a church body? Sure. Oh, yes. There is an endless need, spiritual needs, physically need, physical needs, counseling, all those other things. It is, it is endless. But in this passage, he said, you know, it's, if you're running, if this is my, it, let's take this visual, if this is my responsibility of the ministry of the word, and I am constantly running to minister to every person that has a problem, then I can't be here doing my job. And you guys know my heart, and, and I'll share this. This doesn't mean that I don't minister to people, but it does mean that I don't minister to everybody. If I ministered to everybody, I would, I would be called Jesus. <laughs> I'm not Jesus. And sometimes I've had people talk about, uh, like, say, even Jesus left the 99 and, uh, to go after the one. I was like, yes, he did. Please don't hold me to the level of Jesus. There's only one master shepherd. There's only one. And I cannot be who he is because I, I, I am an under shepherd that uh, facilitates the word of God. That is our job. We are, we're human. You know how far my reach is? It's as far as your reach is. I, I can reach this far. And if we're expected to reach further than that, then we, we end up not ministering the word of God like we should. There's a specific calling for pastors, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. It, it, it literally means that he, he gifted, he called, he equipped some people to do that. Not everybody's called to this job. And it's not even about a talent or ability of like to speak in a certain way or to stand before people. It is about the fact that we have a calling on our life to do this. The fact that God put it in Paul and Timothy's heart to preach the word of God, it is a burden and a calling that we, we would not be happy doing anything else because we were created by the master to do this. And he said the reason for this is for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting, which literally means to repair and mend, restore people through preaching and teaching. I don't, I don't have the ability to change lives, but I'm like a medic that has the medicine. It's, it's through the preaching of the Word of God that I'm able to run before people, whether that's in a counseling session, a funeral, a wedding, whether that is uh, on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. I, I, I have a calling on my life just to minister. That's what it was talking about, to administer or serve the Word of God. That's what I do. My, my role is to preach and teach. At the end of Peter messing up and running back to fishing. And Jesus calls him back and he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus was with, with, with Peter and he gave him his primary responsibility as a preacher. He said to feed his sheep. This was his priority. This was, was his calling. We don't take it lightly. He said, preach the word, be instant in season, not of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. It's more than telling Bible stories. It's, it's about digging deep into the Word of God and being able to deliver truth. You know, it's, it's, it's a challenge, honestly. Evangelists that can pop in and pop out, they're able to take the same outline or same five outlines and just repeat them all these different places. But a shepherd wants to be able to start in Mark 1 and end up preaching in Mark 2 and then Mark 3 and Mark 4 and be able to do that. That's our calling. The only way we can do that is when we give ourselves to the attention of the Word of God. He says, study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, 
rightly dividing the word of truth. That was Paul speaking to Timothy as a pastor, not saying that doesn't apply to all of us. But in this context, he was talking to him as a pastor. Our role is also the lead. It's what we do. He talks about leading in 1 Timothy 3, 4, about the qualifications of a pastor. And he says in there this comparison, he said, if you can't even lead your own home, you're not going to be able to lead the church. It's about this comparison of taking people in a direction, about the church can't sit. I go back to the ecclesia, what was he doing? He was calling an army out. And an army is not made to sit in a museum. I love our past, guys. I love our history. I love the dinoffs. I, I, I love the fact that we have all these things. But I tell you, we can't just look back. We've got to charge forward. We have to charge forward. Especially in a world that is dying and going to hell and falling apart. People that are questioning whether they're a boy or a girl. That's how far messed up we are. That is the kingdom of Satan. But I'm telling you, we are the kingdom of God and we do not sit still. We rise up, we charge forward, that's what we do. And he says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer. It is a matter for the pastor not to make decisions of himself, but it's Lord, help us, Lord, show us. But it's also the job of the pastor to train leaders. In Timothy, this whole passage, the whole book that talks about the qualities unto him uh, to, to lead the, uh, the next generation, he was unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. The reason why uh, Timothy was able to stand and preach is because he was trained and developed by Paul. And then he says, uh, let no man despise thy youth. He was literally saying, I know you're young and you're new at this, but I'm telling you, I'm pushing you into this because the world needs more pastors. And that's why even for me, it's important that I preach and that I teach that I'm the lead pastor. But it's also important that Pastor Matt, Pastor Chris, and Pastor Bryce also take times at the pulpit to preach and teach. Because the same way that we sent Pastor Dave out to lead a church, one day we'll be sending out other pastors to lead in our community. They won't be ready unless they're given an opportunity to teach and preach, an opportunity to be sharpened by the church body. Because it's not about some sort of guy just getting the attention from a pulpit because of his title. It's about us training the next generation because the ministry must go on. Paul trained Timothy. Elijah trained Elisha. Moses changed Joshua. If there's hope for the next generation, it's because we train the next generation. His ministry is also, or his role is also the ministry of the word. And when you look that up, the word ministry literally means to facilitate, to deliver. It's almost like a waiter would take the word, like in a restaurant, would gather the food and then serve it to people at the table, that ministry, or to administer. That's what it's talking about. So anything that God opens the door, whether it is a funeral or a wedding or it is counsel or a Bible study or, or a life group, whatever, it is our job to facilitate to those. Let me say, that's my role as a pastor, but that doesn't change my role as a Christian. You guys know what I mean by that? I, I'm still a dad. None of these things eliminate my role. I still have the job to go witness to my neighbors. You know why? It's, well, you're Pastor Tony. No, because I'm a Christian. I still have the job to go help people that are in need. And you say, oh, you can't leave the... No, because I'm a Christian and my responsibility as a Christian is to do those things. I just can't minister to everybody in my neighborhood or everybody in the church because that is what the body of, the Christ, uh, the body of Christ does. But in that same passage, when he was talking about it, he said, it's not good that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And he said, let us look among them seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, then we made a point over this business. There's the business of the church that still needs to go forward. And God had a plan for that, and that was deacons. Deacons' responsibilities that we break it down in the church. They meet and discuss issues of the church. We did this this past week. Had a great time for about an hour and a half. I met with the deacons, and we went through all the future plans of things that we're doing in the church and breaking it down and asking questions and the hard questions and things that I'm thinking about. Because the Bible says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. And if you go back, he said, pull you out people that are honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. God has given them the ability and insight and history and Bible knowledge and, and things that they've learned just through jobs and things that they do in the world, giving them wisdom. And God gave us people like that to help us. They serve communion. We get that when Jesus 
was serving the communion uh, or, or the Lord's Supper, Last Supper, and then he said, I've given this as an example to you, that you serve one another. We, we, we demonstrate that every time we have communion. It's not a matter of it has to be deacons, but the Bible has given this that illustration. If you notice when we do communion, I will serve the deacons, and then one of the deacons will serve me. Has you guys ever noticed that we do that? I'll stand back, and they'll pick up the tray, and they'll do that. It's not because I am inadequate to be able to grab that cup by myself. It's just a symbolic thing to be able to serve one another. That's what we're doing. It's just a visual of that. We're demonstrating that through that but also to care for widows. And that's what Acts chapter 6 was all about, that they gave them responsibility. And then it says that we should leave the tables. The table was just the business, the things that needed to be done. And I'm able to call out these men, these men in the church to say, I just need help with this. But then we get into, we're talking about the role, your role in the body of Christ, the mission of the church. So we've talked about what it is, who's over it, the leadership aspects of it. But man, what about that get up and go? I mean, there's the action to it. Because if we have the idea that church is about me sitting in that chair on Sundays and me just worshiping, man, that's just, that's just a fraction of it. So what is the church does? We can pull this out. and The Bible is saturated with illustrations of this. Number one is we worship together. There's two main things that we do when we worship together. We sing and praise God. And we also receive the word of God through preaching. Uh, those are the two things that we do. Let's break that down. The preaching of the Word of God. When we talk about the church, nobody can think of the church without thinking about preaching. Or I hope so. <laughs> like, I mean, when you think about Sunday, and that's the primary thing that we do, you come in, uh, you're going to hear the Word of God opened up. You're going to hear preaching. And that's where it comes into Ephesians 4, uh, 11, when he says, And I gave you pastors, I gave you teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. Give it to you again, that is the repairing, the mending, the restoring, the building up, the edifying of the body of Christ. I have nothing worth anything to say to you. I'm sorry. I am a redneck from Alabama. But when I study the word of God, it is not my words. And that's what Paul said. I don't come to you with enticing words. I simply just preach and proclaim God's word. But it's powerful. You say, how can God do that? It's amazing because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not about pastors, uh, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. One of the most powerful messages ever preached was read off a piece of paper. He did not get up there and move around. It wasn't fancy illustrations. He walked to the pulpit, gripped the sides of it, looked down at it, and began to communicate the words that God gave him. And people were crying out for salvation in that room as the, as the Bible was being preached. Because it wasn't about the preacher it was never about D.L. Moody or Billy Sunday or Billy Graham or any of these other great preachers that we talk about. It was about the authority of the Word of God, which they proclaimed. It was all about the preaching of the Word of God. Paul told Timothy, you just preach the Word. It doesn't get any more simple than that. You know what preach says or means? It's just a public crier. It is just somebody simple that stands up there and proclaims it. It is as simple as that. It's important that we set time aside for the preaching of the Word of God. And I'm not saying that it's not important that you, don't, that you study the Word of God. You should study the Word of God. You should read the Word of God. You should share the Word of God. But there's another aspect of it, of the Word. God gives us the preaching of the Word of God that is different than those other aspects. If it's another way to receive it or another way to deliver it, to proclaim it. Paul said to the church, he said, my speech... And my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit of the power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I, I could not emphasize that enough. Do you guys know how many words in the Bible I cannot pronounce? <laughs> and I know you're laughing because you know it. If I'm ever reading and I pause and I come back and you go like, he just, just skipped a verse. I, it was on purpose. I, I get scared to death. Sometimes Jenny will be like, are you nervous about today? I said, yeah, there's one word, and I am scared to death to say it. And I'll write it out and everything, and I'll still get up there and butcher. I did that just a couple weeks ago, and I know the guys were laughing at me because I was like, I look up on YouTube, like different, pe uh, different people's quoting and saying the verse, and I'm like, I got it. And then I get up there, and my brain goes, it just goes empty. My speech and my preaching is not with enticing words of man's wisdom. 
It's not. Thank God, or I'd be disqualified. <laughs> but it's just a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. It is not us. God loves using unexpected things to proclaim his word. Does anybody know the story of Balaam? Who did, who, who did God speak to in that story? He spoke to this donkey. So if you think I'm unqualified, you'd be surprised. <laughs> the preaching service should be a time where we just simply hear from God's word. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I believe that in the church should be for every age group. I, I, I don't care what age group. No age group of our church should be set aside just to entertain and watch children. It should be for the edifying and the preaching and the sharing and the teaching of God's word. I don't care if they're one year old and all we teach them is Jesus loves you. That is a message that one-year-olds need to hear. And that is our responsibility as a church. May we hold each other accountable to never, ever get over that. May it never be about entertainment. May it never be to where I don't care what in this. And you guys know for, for me as a pastor, if, if I feel like God is working in the message... I, I will change the schedule. I, I, I don't care what the clock says. I don't care what the order of service says. That is the priority that takes the preeminence of everything that we're doing is the preaching of God's word. I will cut songs. I will cut announcements. We will cut videos. We will cut programs. But we will never, ever cut the wording, the preaching of the word of God. Now, there's times like this Sunday that we will do it differently because we have communion but that is something else that God has given us that we, we, maybe we pull back in one aspect and I'm still going to preach on Sunday, but we're going to make a priority about obeying the word of God. Yep. The word of God is important, but then there's also worship. We encourage each other through corporate worship. And it says, praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song and praise in the congregation of the saints. There's something special and powerful about corporate worship, about Christians getting together and just praising God. The, the Psalms is all about praising God. It says, make a joyful noise unto the, uh, unto the Lord, all ye earth, and make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praises. You know why? Because we have something to be joyful about. It, it, it should be us getting a glimpse of who God is. And when we sing about it, we can't hold back. I think one of the greatest glories to Satan when Christians stand up and we're singing songs and we mumble through it or we don't sing or we're, we're on our phones or we're distracted because Jesus even said, if you don't praise me, I'll have the rocks cry out. Right. We are created to worship God. We're created to sing his praises. It says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy. It's okay to be a little noisy. It's okay to shout for joy. I, you will never bother me to say amen or hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank God. It will never bother me if you get excited and lift your hands and praise God in the service. And I'm not shooting for emotionalism, but you get a hold of God and what he's done for you, I'll tell you, it will affect your emotions. Far greater than the Buckeyes getting a touchdown. It should, it should stir our hearts and get us excited about the things that God has done. Singing and music is a big deal to God, and especially corporately for us. But then there's also fellowship. Fellowship can be defined in different ways. If we were to say we're having a fellowship, there's going to be a crockpot of something somewhere, I promise you. And that's how Baptists define, I think every denomination defines fellowship. But the Bible says in Acts 2.42, when they were saved and, and they, they were added to the church and steadfastly, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Okay, that's what we're talking, the preaching, the teaching of God's word. But it says, and fellowship. Fellowship literally means, in the Greek of that, it means a partnership or to participate in social interactions. There is nothing wrong with us getting together like the guys are doing this weekend, that there's a guy's activity to go canoeing. That is, that is part, biblically part of the church to socially interact with each other. For the teens to have a Bible study, and a lot of times when we leave, they'll be outside playing volleyball. That is okay. We socially interact. You know why? Because we're connected to one another. We share life together. We walk through life together. We enjoy life together. Remember when the Bible says about the church, the whole body fitly joined together? It literally means that we are connected. 
Don't live disconnected. Don't live disconnected. If you are not connected to a group in the church, you are disconnected from the blessing and the joy of the church. It is not your name on a membership roll. It is not the fact that you have a history with this church. It is the fact that you are connected the same way that the joints are connecting the bones together, the, the ligaments and the muscles. That's what that, every joint supplieth. It's like this part is connected to this part, and they interact together. That should be a vital part of it. The point of this whole passage is that we are connected. I'll have people say that I feel so disconnected. Then I ask you the question, how are you getting connected? You have to be. Fellowship is sharing a meal together. It's praying together. It's helping each other through problems. It's serving together. Serve on a team. If you say, I want to feel part of the church, join the choir. Join a team. Join the outreach. What are you doing to connect with other people? And when you do that, you should go out of your way to connect. Jesus was serving with the disciples, and he said, from henceforth, you're not servants. For the servants know not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. Because they had a bond and a connection with one another. Church should be one of the primary places that you make friends. And, I, and, and trust me, it doesn't always happen that way in church. I, I promise you, there's people here that's probably thinking to themselves, I don't have friends like that. Fellowship means that you get close to people through the things that you do as part of the body of Christ. There is so much to happen here. Whether you're part of the prime timers luncheon that we get together and we serve and we set up, a part of the deacon team that we pray together and we talk through things, a part of the choir that stands there and practices and have the choir boot camp that's coming up, or the food pantry that happens on the Thursdays when they get here early and unbox and package things together and they walk out and pray over the people. But I promise you, you can't rub shoulders with other Christians serving God and not make friends. It's just what we do. Fellowship is how we have make friends. And the Bible says if a man had friends, he must show himself friendly. You have to. You, you have to show yourself friendly. You, you have to be what you want. Put yourself out there. Friends are needed in your life. Then part of the church is discipleship. It's, it's not just what you learn from the pulpit. It's what we learn from each other. Jesus not only preached and he fed the 5,000, he preached to the 5,000 of men and plus women and children, but then he walked off that hill walked into a boat, walked into a house, and walked into a city with the 12 disciples, teaching them how to pray, teaching them what life is about. He had a discipleship group that he was part of. And the Bible says, when we talk about the verse of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, it said, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Now, I want to emphasize one part of that. Did you notice that it says, let the, it didn't say, let the pastor provoke everybody to love and good works? Did you notice that? What is the phrasing there? It's one another. So literally, if you're looking at a table, that is your job at that table. Your job tonight is to disciple. You know what discipling is? You're going to provoke. Does anybody know what the word provoke means? Okay, yeah, it's start a fight. <laughs> it means other things too, okay? It's like we have a church split tonight, and you're like, we just did what you said. And like, but it's, 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 this, is, this is provoking. For me in here, it's like, what do you do to do devotions? Or, or how, how do you share your faith? Let me tell you how I share my faith. What do you do? Have you ever gotten to a fight with another brother and sister in Christ? How did you make that right? That is a great deal. Wow, that convicts me. You know what you're doing? We're provoking one another to, to love and do good works. But I tell you, you have to be connected to people to provoke them. You have to be around people to provoke them. Jesus was constantly provoking the disciples even when he sat down with Peter after Peter wanted to quit and, and Peter just ran off and did that. And he pulls him off to the shoreline and he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You know what he was doing? He's provoking him to love and good works. We've got to take it further than the pew. If we don't, we are not the church. Do you notice I haven't got into really talking about potlucks yet? Okay, and I know a lot of you are like, it's got to be in here. It did say that they went house to house breaking bread, so it's in there, buddy. 
But he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. That word exhorting is one of my favorite words in Scripture. It literally means to call near, to invite, to invoke. So let, let, me, let me teach you this, that the principle that Jesus was talking about exhorting, to call near, to invite or evoke, to invite them into something. It was constantly, we're different than anything else when it comes to church, because a lot of, a lot of organizations and things, like I climb the ladder and I brag on success of how far I've gone. But as for Christianity, you know what we're constantly doing? As I grow in my faith, I reach behind me and I find somebody else to pull them near to Jesus Christ. It's never about our status. It's never about us outdoing other people. It's never about I've arrived or I've sat in the same seat for a certain length of time. It's not about our charter membership. It's not, and, and I mean, those things are great. Praise God for faithfulness. I'm not downplaying that whatsoever. But I tell you, that just means that you've learned some things along the way to be able to help other people with. That's the mission of the church. That is what the mission of Jesus Christ was. It was doing that, constantly doing that. You know, you know what we do as the tables, the life groups that we're about, Connexpo, all these things that we're going to do? We're going to help other people become better dads. You know how you do that? Because if you've been a dad for 10 years and you've been a Christian for 20 years, you have something to share with somebody else. You've learned a thing or two. You have something to give on to, to pass on to other people. And if you're not, you're not fulfilling the role of a disciple. You're, you're not actively being the church. And we think, why is it struggling? Because if people walk into a building and they stand and sit and sing and sit and, and take notes and they stand up and they walk out the door and they shake two hands, they really didn't experience the full aspect of the church. And that's why when we look at that, there was so much more. So from the whole body fitly joined together, compacted by which every joint supplieth. You know what that means? I help Brother Fenwick, Brother Fenwick helps Sylvia, and on and on and on and on and on around the table that we go. Every joint, every part of the body of Christ has something to contribute to the other parts of the body of Christ. That's why we say that we help people find and follow Jesus. We're constantly saying that. But then there's also the ministry of the church. We serve together. It says in Ephesians 4.12, He gave some apostles and some teachers and some evangelists for what? For the perfecting of the saints. Build them up. Restore them. Help them. Teach them Jesus for the work of the ministry. I know that word makes some people nervous, but it's in the Bible. W-O-R-K. Serving in ministry is part of being a Christian. It doesn't give that as an option. Because in the church, there is work to be done. Ministry takes work. We as a church must do the work, do the mission that the Lord has given us. We serve the Lord and we serve each other. That's what we do. Examples of this is we sing in the choir to minister to those in attendance. We serve in the nursery so those parents can go sit in the service. We serve as greeters to make people feel welcome as they walk through the door. We serve on safety teams so people feel safe as they sit in the church. We serve in the kitchen to minister to those that are sitting in the banquet, the mother's event or whatever we're hosting or having. We, we serve cutting the grass to be a good testimony and a first impression to those coming to the church. Serving in a ministry is how we use our spiritual gifts. He says, but to every one of us, not to some of us, to every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led, the cap, led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. God has equipped every single one of us to do something. When we don't minister, listen to this, when we don't minister in the church, we hurt the church. Because you got to think, if every part of the body of Christ has a purpose, and you're the hand, and you're not doing anything, and the rest of the body of Christ is trying to do the dishes, and we're literally like, that's who you are. You're just hanging out there. Do you know? I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. You guys know my heart. There's only one part of the church that doesn't have a purpose on the body. That's a love handle. That's it. It just hangs on. It does nothing. Don't be a love handle in the body of Christ. Don't be a love handle in the body of Christ. Every part of the body has a purpose. 
Every part of the body has something to contribute to everybody else. We serve and we minister to one another according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. Every part. The question is, are you serving the Lord with your abilities? Are, are you actively part of the body of Christ? And then there's missions and evangelism. When Jesus left the disciples after he trained them, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I tell you guys, and you know this, go is an action. Go is a command. Go implies a mission. When he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost, so come upon you, shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. Can I re read that again? Both in Columbus. That's what it's saying. And also in Ohio. And also in America. And also in Africa. That's actually how that verse is describing it. Start here, reach out, reach out. That's why we have the food pantry. That's why we do what we do here. We're, that's why we minister, because we have a job that goes beyond the nursery of Fellowship Baptist Church. We have a job that goes beyond the choir of Fellowship Baptist Church. Just because you're involved in ministry in the walls of this church does not exempt you from being part of the mission of going of evangelism. Uh, and I'm thankful if we give in the offering and we have faith promise, we give over a hundred and some thousand dollars to the missions, but that doesn't exempt you from being part of an active part of telling people about Jesus Christ. So here's my closing. I go back to how we started. We do all this because as the church, when we fulfill the role, the responsibility, the ministry, the action of the church, we are victorious. None of this junk, uh, well, it's just end times and we're just going to be defeated. That is a lie. It literally said in there, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I will give you ministry and worship and preaching and evangelism and safety and security team and choirs and discipleship and fellowship and friendship and connection and all those other things. That's all wrapped up in what he says the church and then he follows up with, and the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail against it. You want to see a church fall apart? Just simply get away from what we taught tonight. Make it about traditions. Make it about that Sunday morning experience for an hour and 25 minutes. And then you will, you, we, we will fall apart because that's not the whole picture. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's not a matter of these things aren't working today. It's a matter of we need to step it up and do it even be more faithful today to these things than we've ever been before. You know why? Because the day is quickly approaching. We are the church. We're a called out army to stand against the, the, the kingdom of Satan but I can promise you they can come at us with all that they have and we're still going to win because we're on the solid rock of Jesus Christ.